Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Realm Buncher Radio. My name is Trey Yannity alongside Nick Caparoso as we welcome back Marty Leap to the show this week. Marty, we missed you last week, man. Welcome back. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Missed recording to you guys last week. Um, we were in the process of moving, so that's always a that's a fun time. So I was tied up with all that mess, getting the house together, getting the boxes unpacked, getting things hung. But uh, we're, we're all moved in. We're unpacked. We're ready to go, and I'm, uh, I'm ready to be talking baseball with you guys again. It's all right. We had Cody on last week. Marty, he did a good job filling in for you, but it's good to have you back on this week, brother. Gentlemen, it has been a huge week for Major League Baseball. Player owner meetings continue. We are now on week four. 114 games was proposed by the MLPA to the owners. That was rejected. The owners said they will not give a counterproposal. So now we sit and continue to wait. We've heard 50 games, maybe 82 games, perhaps. Uh, it's not looking like that 114 is going to be possible. Where do we stand now, four weeks into this thing? Are we going to have a season? And if we do, how long is this thing going to be? I definitely think in the end, cooler heads are going to prevail. We'll get some sort of season. The players and owners alike, they're, they're not dummies. They're going to realize that not having a season would be disastrous for baseball. I mean, I love baseball. You guys love it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a big baseball fan. But the sad truth is that of the major sports in this country, baseball's popularity has definitely been waning in recent years. And if there's one sport that cannot afford to miss out on a season, it is baseball. So I do think in the end, something gets settled. They'll have some sort of shortened season, and we will see baseball played at some point this summer. Yeah, and I think that's why you've been hearing 50 or 60 games float out more. Um, I think fiscally it makes more sense for the owners, and that's why they're kind of okay with that. I think that's more or less the minimum amount of games that they feel they can play and you know, still have the playoffs start on time and everything like that. So I think you're right, Marty. I think we will have some sort of season eventually. I think it's going to be more of that 50 or 60 game season rather than, you know, at one point how we are looking at 82, 114 and so on. So, but if we can get some baseball, that's better than nothing. I also feel one important component here, a reason why the 50 or 60 game plans pretty realistic is the owners want the postseason to start on time there in those first few days of October. And again, this kind of goes back to the popularity thing. The money making aspect of it is obviously the world series is on Fox. The ALCS is on Fox. They have the TV rights for those games in October, but if you get into November, you get into later on in October and you start to clash or, okay, the world series might be on, at the same time as Big Noon Saturday for college football or the college football primetime game that week or America's Game of the Week for the NFL. 
Fox, if push come to shove, the World Series ALCS is going to be the, the game getting pushed to FS1 because football is the moneymaker, rather it's college or NFL, and the owners know that. And I think that's a big reason why, too, they're so hell-bent on making sure the postseason starts on time. That's a great point, Marty. And, you know, we're going to see all of these major sports eclipse um, at some point down the stretch here. But we've seen with the NBA and the NHL that the owners and and the leagues want to kind of just skip right to the playoffs. The NBA proposed, you know, some play in games, perhaps, but it's pretty much going to be right to the postseason. But for Major League Baseball, we're looking to get some kind of regular season played. With that being said, you know, will we see play in each of the 30 cities? It, it kind of limits you to, to put teams in a bubble like the NBA and the NHL are going to do. Yeah, I still think there's a good shot you see teams play in their home stadiums. They did come out and say this week if there is a spring training 2.0, teams will have the choice between their home stadiums and returning to rather be Arizona or Florida. And most teams will do it in their home cities. I, I think geographically – it would make sense to have a season where they cut down on travel, try and cut down on players potentially contracting this thing. You see a very geographically driven schedule. Um, you know, we've seen divisions floated that have the Pirates in with the Phillies and with the Baltimore Orioles, Toronto, Boston, the New York teams, Cleveland, the teams that are kind of within that six to eight hour radius of Pittsburgh. And I think that's, Ultimately, in my opinion, that's what we're going to get is teams playing in their home stadiums, but maybe not necessarily playing the same divisional foes that we're used to. Yeah, I will be interested to see that. I think with everything else going on right now, you haven't heard much about the actual rules of what's going to happen in baseball, like the designated hitter or, you know, in this case, like you're saying, division realignment. You know, they were talking about that about a month ago and it kind of went to the wayside because there's bigger issues right now. But I will be interested to see if they stick with something like that or if they try to still just keep everyone in their normal divisions right now. And, you know, with a shorter schedule, just make travel, you know, just within your division still. So you're still limiting exposure to other parts of the country. A little more traveling. But regardless of how they do it, I do think with a limited schedule, you know, they're definitely going to be looking at ways to make sure they're limiting exposure and travel as much as possible. And you guys, I mean, you know, you guys just went down the list of how this season is going to be so different than, uh, you know, any season we've, we've seen in recent history. That being said, let's say we play 50 games. Do the pirates have a legitimate chance of getting into the postseason? We've seen so many hot starts, so many great starts. If you took a season ago, the Pirates would have made the playoffs 50 games into the season. Will a shorter schedule really give Pittsburgh a chance at making a run this year? I mean, it's definitely possible. This team, you know, under Clint Hurdle was always great. It seemed that getting off to a hot start. I mean, really the only year under Hurdle I can think of where they started slow was 2014 and they rebounded and made the postseason. But, you know, they were always a fast starting team. If that does continue this year, Hey, you never know. You're only playing 50 games. And if they are going to take seven or eight teams out of each uh, league for the postseason instead of the usual uh, five, you know, hey, you play those first 50 games, say you win 30 of them, you win 28, 29 of them, odds are you're going to have one of the seven or eight best records in the league at that point. 
So if they can start start hot, it's a possibility. And I think that is one thing that a shortened season could add in terms of excitement is you're probably going to see almost every team in baseball be in postseason contention coming down to those last few weeks. And that'll just add a lot of excitement to the different cities, to the fan bases, things of that nature, to really have people galvanized with baseball this year. Yeah, I think it will be interesting too from an approach for some of these teams that have been kind of waiting, you know, they're like the Chicago White Sox are a team that comes to mind, you know, they're young, they have a lot of top prospects who just came up and they also still have a lot of, you know, of top prospects at their triple A system. You know, I think of the San Diego Padres as well. Or do they say, you know what, let's forget about service time altogether. You know, that's a whole nother issue. But, and they call up some of their young top prospects who might be better than some of the veterans they have, but they're keeping them down for service time issues. You know, I think of the Pittsburgh Pirates with Cabrian Hayes possibly getting to come up now and play third base immediately, which should be a boost to the Pirates' defense and offense. So I think that could also help with teams getting off to hot starts, but also it could be interesting to see how teams would handle their rosters and if they actually maybe go for it because it's a shorter season. Yeah, I I also think you would see teams be a lot more aggressive if they did encounter an injury or whatever it might be, where in past years – you know, a lot of times you might have a player get hurt and you have a top prospect at that position, but you don't want to call them up because Super 2, service time, whatever it might be, where you might see teams be more aggressive in a shortened season. I mean, actually, that was something the Pirates did last year, even in a normal season, where you saw them call up Brian Reynolds and Cole Tucker early in the year when there was injuries and just kind of throw Super 2 and that sort of thing out the window. And I do think that would be a lot more common this year as well. Which, again, that's also going to add more excitement because fans, you know, use the Pirates as an example, nothing against Colin Moran, but you know what you have in him as a player. People don't want to watch Colin Moran go out there for another season third base. People are ready to see Hayes. They've been hearing about Hayes for three years now. He's a top 100 prospect. You know, when when you if you were calling him up, people would think that you were actually trying to win in those 50 games, not just get to next season. Exactly, and that's going to add excitement. Like I, One of the best regular season games I have ever been at, one of the most electric atmospheres I've ever been a part of the PNC Park for the regular season was Garrett Cole's first start, and that was kind of what it was. Like We heard all about him. The 2013 team was in the postseason hunt. Whenever they had injuries in the starting rotation, they called up Cole in early June, and that probably was a Tuesday night, and there was 35,000 people at the ballpark. That doesn't happen in Pittsburgh. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was, a, it was, a, it was an absolutely electric atmosphere. I've never yeah. seen our stadium like that. That was the first time I've ever seen PNC Park that way. Yeah, and it just things like that are going to add excitement. It's going to get fans tuning into the games. Obviously not being at them this year, but getting fans tuning into the games, talking about it, you know, and that's something baseball needs is that excitement. You know, I think we all wanted the 114-game proposal to get approved. You know, we, we all wanted 162 games um, in, in a regular season. But like you guys said, so much fun can happen this year with 50 games because anything's possible. And I think there is a good chance we see Cabrian Hayes start on the roster, even guys like O'Neill Cruz getting a chance this year, perhaps. But for that to happen, we have to have some form of play. A lot of experts are saying that, 
this upcoming week is kind of going to be the deadline. Do you guys think that's true? You know, we see negotiations sometimes take a year to get settled. Do things have to be kind of in place by the end of next week for baseball to happen this year? Or can we go on maybe a week or two more and still have a season? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, maybe the end of this week, maybe in the next week, because they're talking that players are going to want a two to three week spring training window. And if you get beyond this week, that gives you baseball right after the 4th of July, maybe. But if you go any further than that, now you're starting to push into later July. At that point, you're starting to lose time on the calendar. Like Marty said earlier, you're starting to run into other sports. Your postseason's getting pushed back. So I really think that, you know, the next week to two weeks, we need to have a good idea of if there's going to be a season. Um, and I, I think, though, by the end of this week, we, we will know uh, if the two sides are progressing towards something at least. Yeah, I also think these next seven days or so are going to be vital for that. I, like you said, Nick, we're going to get the idea. Are players and owners close? If they're not, I think you just see even more animosity start to form between the two sides, and just both sides might take their ball and go home and, you know, hey, we'll reconvene when the winter meetings roll around in December and start getting right here in 2021. What's crazy is I thought this was going to be good for baseball because I thought this was going to be an opportunity for them to plug in a lot of these new changes that they've been talking about, you know, digital uh, electronic strike zone, um, having the DH universally, et cetera, and, you know, division realignment. But instead, we have the two sides actually making things worse instead of leading the way for all of sports, we are sitting back with baseball being the least likely one, it seems like, to play at this point. Yeah, there, there definitely was a time where I thought baseball would be the first sport back, and I thought it would be great for baseball to have that limelight for a few weeks, for a month, however long it might be, until the NBA and the NHL start back up. And it, to me, too, there would just be something poetic about it, about America's pastime, being the first sport back, being one of those things everyone kind of rally around, being one of the driving forces behind us returning to normalcy as we get on the other side of this. And, you know, like you said, it looks like it might be the only one that doesn't come back now, and that would just be an absolute disaster for the right, sport. Right. And because it would be a disaster, that is why I do think something, even if it's, you know, an 11th hour type thing, you know, next Thursday at this time, whatever it might be, I think something will get done because both the owners and the players, especially the owners, realize there's too much at stake, too much to lose. And I think eventually the sides will come together and figure something out. And we will have baseball this summer. Really, the worst part of this, this whole thing is having to sit here and watch the NBA figure it out, watch the NHL figure it out, the MLS, get it all you know, very reasonably and in a timely matter, it seems like negative headlines come out pretty much on a daily basis about the negotiations. And another one uh, was, you know, the minor league cuts that happened here within the last week. Let's get into that a little bit and maybe talk about how this is really affecting the minor league system. You see guys like David Price, you know, helping out the minor leaguers in his system. A lot of the guys in D.C. are, are giving money to the minor leaguers. 
what a crazy time for, for the whole system. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, I think a lot of people don't realize this, but a lot of the minor league guys, especially if you weren't a high draft pick or an overslot guy who got a big signing bonus, when baseball season ends, they go to work. Yeah, they go have some sort of job in the off season because they needed to make ends meet because you just don't make much money as a minor league player. And I think that that was one of the reasons why I, the players association got very upset when they passed that rule this past offseason about limiting the size of expanded rosters in September because once you get called up to the majors once, you can be on the roster for one day and not appear in the game. You're still making the major league minimum at that point. You and your family are eligible for the major league benefits. You're eligible for your major league retirement pension. And it's just it's such a just totally different lifestyle between that you know, random minor league guy who was picked in the 11th, 12th round, you know, your Tony Watsons of the world, pitchers like that, players like that who went on to have great careers, but until they made it to the major leagues, were working in the offseason to make ends meet. And they're really getting hit hard by this right now. And that's why it is so awesome to see so many of these established players stepping up to help them financially. Yeah, I think that um... – you're seeing more and more teams starting to cut minor league players. And it sounds like the pirates are going to have a wave of cuts coming. A lot of what I've heard is that these cuts are players who would have likely have been released to either at the end of spring training, who would have been released after uh, the draft or before July 2nd. So a lot of these players aren't per se, part of the future plan like you were referencing Trey but it's still very unfortunate you don't know what they could have gave you the first two months of the year that maybe would have changed the organization's mind on them so people are definitely losing opportunities uh, because of this and it's very unfortunate Uh, like Marty said also with with the pay thing you know this might be another opportunity for them to continue to work on of more fair pay for these minor league players. You know, it's something that they increased this past off season. And, you know, while the increase was good, you know, they still could do some work to make uh, the minor leaguers in a better place. Yeah. And a lot of work has to be done with, um, you know, really, I think the whole system down to uh, single A and all the way up. Um, but hopefully this is an opportunity for owners to kind of sit back and realize that there's just certain limitations. And, um, you know, sometimes you have to make hard decisions. Unfortunately, it's affecting a lot of these guys that are living paycheck to paycheck. The 2018 trade deadline, uh, I don't know about you guys, but that was probably the most exciting day um, I can remember being a Pittsburgh Pirates fan um, just because we finally went out and made a trade that was bringing in a big name guy, was, was setting up the Pirates for winning in the present. Um, but that day actually turned out to be one of the worst days in recent history for the Pittsburgh Pirates as, as the Chris Archer deal has gone down as the worst deal that Neil Huntington made in his tenure with the Pirates. Uh, and now Chris Archer won't even be uh, on the roster in 2020 as, as he suffered thoracic outlet surgery this week. How much worse could it get for this deal? You know, obviously Tyler Glass now didn't look like he was going to be anything terribly special. Once he got called up, he struggled in Pittsburgh. 
But, you know, you got to think, what would this team be like if they had Austin Meadows, Shane Baz, and, and even Tyler Glass now? Um, you know, where do you go from here? Yeah, it definitely was an exciting day. I remember I was up late the night before and the Taylor Hearn trade broke. And, you know, we – or I'm sorry, not the Taylor Hearn trade, but the Keon Kella trade that we, we um, included Taylor Hearn in – as well as Sheraton Apostle, you know, I, I could tell from that trade that Neil Huntington was being aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so I thought there was a chance we would get in on the Archer sweepstakes. But whenever we made the trade, I was very excited. But then as more and more information came out that that player to be named later is going to be Shane Boz. And not that I love Shane Boz per se as a prospect, but he was a first round pick as was Meadows and glass. Now, obviously was a top 10 prospect in baseball. Uh, the more I looked at that package and then thought about what we got back for Garrett Cole, the more I was being hesitant about it. I, you know, I, I really was excited about getting Chris Archer in the name, but I also knew that we are giving up awesome Met- uh, Meadows who, I always was very high on thought he was an all-star caliber outfielder, and he showed that last year. Tyler Glassnow, who, yeah, I was fine with it because it seemed like he wasn't going to figure it out here, but that was just another um, example of why Huntington got fired uh, outside of this trade, but also because of not being able to have the right guys in place to develop guys like Glassnow. And then, of course, Shane Boz, who's quickly ascending the prospect ranks and is throwing 100 miles per hour. And while he might not be a starter, he definitely has the ceiling to be an elite closer. So, you know, we gave up a lot. I was okay with it because I thought they were trying to make a statement. You know, for once, like you said, Trey, they went out and they got the big fish. They got the name. They had to give up a little more because of his contract. But then he got here and it just, it never worked. It never clicked. And like you said, it was one of the worst ones, uh, worst trades in Huntington's tenure here. Now with his injury and probably him never pitching again in Pittsburgh, it's probably the worst trade of in baseball in the decade, honestly, off the top of my head. What do you think, Marty? Yeah, I mean, when the trade went down, I was definitely ecstatic. Um, I mean, I remember that day it was probably around 12 30 one o'clock nick and i we received an email from a scout that we know in baseball who emailed us and said hey this is going to happen basically they're dotting the i's and crossing the t's but archer is going to be a pirate and i remember immediately he and i just being ecstatic we were both pumped and even as the 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 details of the trade started to come out you know like you said nick with glass now the pirates had clearly given up on him as a starting pitcher so Right or wrong, at that point, his ceiling is very limited in Pittsburgh. I, like you, thought Meadows had the potential to be an absolute star, and it looks like he's going to be a star. But at this point, Meadows said you have to prove if he could stay healthy. You know, you had Marte under control for three more years. You had Dickerson for two more. Polanco looked like he was finally putting it all together in right field. So, you know, you're going to have to give something up to get something, and the outfield seemed like a spot where the Pirates had the depth to make that move. And then even as the Baz news came out, Again, at the time, he was in the rookie league, struggling to throw strikes. So, yes, the potential was there. But, again, you got to give something up to get something. And I was also in the boat that I thought Archer was just going to be a great addition. I mean, at the time – I thought he was going to be a classic race here, change of scenery, 
back to old Chris Archer. Yeah, I, I did as well, especially with how excited Archer was to come to Pittsburgh. And then you just saw, I remember that day, not long before the news broke nationally, I remember Joe Musgrove tweeting out a picture of someone shooting a bow and arrow. And I think it was Trevor Williams tweeting out gifts of Archer, the TV show. So like once these guys caught wind of it, you could tell that the entire clubhouse was just galvanized by this. And at the time, the Pirates won something like 13 out of their last 15 games. And they were only like one game out of first place in the division. And then they go out and add Archer. And you're like, all right, this could be, you know. Right. They had the trade at Yeah. And another thing I really liked about it, and Kella was in this boat as well, is you were adding guys that weren't rentals. You were adding guys who were going to be here for two, three years. And, that's you know, why you had to give up. Before. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why they gave up what they gave up. And that's part of the reason I was okay with it. But just since Archer has gotten to Pittsburgh, I remember his first start against St. Louis, Matt Carpenter let off the game with a home run. And that was just, it was like a sign of things to come. It's just everything yeah. that could go. It was like, oh, uh, wait, this is, this is what we are reading about. This is what, you know, they said, this is what Chris Archer's like now. Shoot. Yeah, and then, I mean, now a lot of that, I do wonder how much of it was injury because I do remember when they got him in 18, Archer even admitted he rushed back from an injury earlier in the year. He got shut down at the end of the season. Last year he was on the injured list very early in the year with that finger issue. And now with the thoracic outlet stuff, how long had that been bothering him? And, you know, it's tough to really be too critical of any player, especially Chris Archer, because Chris Archer, from all accounts, is one of the best you're ever going to meet. He does so much for the community. The guy's got a great broadcasting career ahead of him if he wants it when his playing days are done. But it's just, you know, what was one of the most exciting trades the Pirates have ever made in their franchise history has just turned into a total and complete disaster at this point. And you bring up his health, and that's one thing that's also interesting. Like, I'm looking in 2014, he threw 194 innings. 2015, 212. 2016, 201. 2017, 201. 2018, he comes to Pittsburgh, and all of a sudden, he throws 148 innings. He ends up on the DL right at the end of that season. And then 2019, as we know, he had was off and on the DL as well. So you got to wonder, you know, what happened? Did maybe the innings catch up to him? You know, he's doesn't have the biggest frame that you look for in a projectable starter. And after throwing those 200 plus inning years, you know, did those catch up with them? I don't know, but it is interesting. Like you said, how it just seems like from the first pitch in Pittsburgh, it just was destined not to work out after being, you know, a trade that was hopefully going to be remembered for a long time for positive reasons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be remembered for a long time. I mean, this is, but unfortunately it's going to be remembered the same way, you know, the Ramos Ramirez trade is remembered or the Jason Bay trade is remembered, but it's just, it really is unfortunate. I mean, it was great to see the Pirates go out and go for it in 2018 because, like I said, at the time, they were as hot as anybody in baseball. Their starting rotation was doing great, and it looked like, hey, you know what? We missed the postseason the last two years, but we're in as good a position as anybody to win the NL Central in 2018 and get back to the postseason. And, I mean, they did have a fine year that year. They won 84, 85 games, whatever it was. They exceeded expectations in a big way, but it's just with Archer just – Again, I don't keep beating that horse, but everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. The home runs have spiked. He struggled with control. He's been hurt. It's just been one thing after another, unfortunately. 
and again, like I said, it, it, what makes it tough with him is just because Chris Archer is such a great person. He's a very likable guy. He's one of the few athletes you're ever going to see when he goes out and struggles. He's accountable. He doesn't blame his defense. He doesn't say, hey, I made good pitches and I hit them. He'll just tell you, hey, I suck tonight. It's on me. I've got to be better. And it's just there was just too many of those nights during his tenure with the Pirates that, like you said, Nick, that tenure is probably over because it's very hard to envision them picking up that $11 million option. I mean, obviously, they're not going to pick up the $11 million option, and it's difficult to envision them re-signing him at all this offseason as well. You know, and it just it, it's so hard to watch a player like Chris Archer who wears his heart on his sleeve every time he goes out to struggle because, you know, when he was on, when he was working the changeup, when he had it, you could just see that that he was so much more confident and, uh, you know, it just fell apart so fast and, and the confidence really left the stadium immediately. That was what was weird with him, Trey, is that he would come out and dominate for two or three innings, and then all of a sudden he'd give up two home runs in a fourth inning and the wheels would completely come off. Yeah, and it's like, you know, how many times do you see – you know, the first time through, he's dominating guys. But he's just seemed to be one of those pitchers, when he got to Pittsburgh at least, that teams were just able to figure it out pretty quickly. And once you get to that second round, second go through, Archer was toast. But now the Pirates face uh, a bit of a challenge here. No JMO, no Chris Archer. Three out of the five slots are pretty much locked down. Uh, but now there's two open slots. You got Derek Holland competing, Stephen Brault, Chad Cool. Which two of these find their way into the starting rotation and who is left out? Um, actually, this is something I wrote about on the site earlier this week. If anyone wants to go and check it out, it's about how losing Archer impacts the Pirates. And I think Derek Holland is probably going to be in the rotation anyway, just between his, his track record, being the veteran guy. You know, he had pitched fantastic in spring training before it got shut down. I think this opens the door for either Stephen Broad or Chad Cool. Personally, I'd like to see it be Chad Cool. I think there's a lot of untapped potential there, especially now with the new pitching coach where it seems like it's going to be more of a letting guys pitch to their strengths type of philosophy. I'd love to see Cool go out there and try and use that slider a little bit more. I, I still think he could be a very effective starting pitcher. And even with that with Brawl, I mean, yeah, Brawl had that nice stretch last year, but at this point in his career, you, you know what Brawl is. He's a below-average starter. He's an average, a slightly above-average reliever. So I'd rather see Cole get the shot. Um, I wouldn't even hate the idea of seeing someone like a J.G. Brubaker get an opportunity this year if, if there starts available without Archer there. So I do think this definitely opens up the opportunity for Chad Cole, for Brawl, potentially for J.T. Brubaker. But personally, I would like to see it be Chad Cole get that last rotation spot. Yeah, I um... – I think that Chad Cole will be in the last rotation spot at this point. Uh, what I think we could see is a little bit of a piggyback situation with Chad Cole coming off the Tommy John and now an irregular spring training. I could see them wanting to be very, very careful with his innings, especially given a shortened season. Uh, so I could see them maybe having him and Brault do a little bit of a, you know, Cole comes out, throws three or four innings, and Brault backs that up with another three or four innings type of thing. What would you think of that? Yeah, I definitely could see, I definitely see that. And I think one thing that's going to help Chad Cole here as well is, um, you know, they were very – cautious with him in spring training, which was the right thing to do coming off of Tommy John. 
But at this point, I mean, I'm sure it's not like he went home and he's been sitting on his couch since March. You know he's still throwing. Right, he's right. getting stretched back out. He's building that arm strength back up. And I, I think the Pirates' plan all along was for Cole to start in the bullpen and hopefully be joining the rotation around this time. So I think now that he has an arm strength built back up, is a little bit more stretched out. I definitely think that increases his odds. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a piggyback situation like you said. You know, you throw Cole for three or four, Brawl, Brubaker, Robbie Erlin, whoever it might be for another three or four, and, and you just kind of mix and match. And then a season like this, it's the time to do it. I mean, the Pirates weren't looking to compete this season anyway, so you were going to have an opportunity for younger guys. It's going to be more about establishing your main core moving forward anyhow. So yeah, I, I really would like expanded rosters. You're going to be able to protect more arms. Yes. I mean, you, you got to imagine at this point that if there is a season, that they're going to have at least 30 guys on your active roster each day. So, again, that creates the opportunity to do the piggybacking to, you know, hey, Cole goes, three innings, gets into trouble in the fourth. You bring in Michael Feliz, Rich Rod, whoever, clean up that inning so Brawl can start a clean inning in the fifth. You know, I think we'll see a lot of that for that fifth rotation spot this year if there is a season. But I just – it just really is unfortunate because I did think that Archer had the opportunity to have a nice bounce back year and reestablish some value to where the Pirates could potentially flip him for something. Tough news this week for, for Chris Archer and for the Pittsburgh Pirates and some question marks that will need to be answered as we get closer to a hopeful 2020 season. And, and thankfully, guys, a week from now, we're going to have a former member of this staff join us to help answer those questions and take us through a magical journey of 2013. None other than A.J. Burnett. I would say personally my favorite Pirate of the last decade. Uh, incredibly excited to have him on next time, guys. It's content you cannot miss. Uh, be sure to join us for that. But that is all the time that we have for this week. Thank you for joining us. My name is Trey Anity alongside Nick Caparoso and Marty Leap. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Fansided.com. You can find us there on the Rum Buncher app, social media, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. So long. Let's go Bucks. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.